I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long-term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. So by 1700s, they had deteriorated to like horrific conditions. No way. (laughs) And you're still talking about hospitals? We just don't understand each other. The ER was insane, like somebody was wheeled in with a knife in their head. (laughs) Yeah. And you're seeing this as a sophomore? Yeah. The building industry has long been reluctant to change. When things are going well, developers and builders have had no incentive to rock the boat. But now... Post-recession, a shift in society and culture has ushered in a tidal wave of change in the industry, and there's no going back. Welcome to Spaces, where we explore and analyze how the building industry is evolving, from design and construction to management and economics. Join hosts Jason, Ali, and Demetrius as they discuss the evolution of your spaces. Hello! My name is Demetrius, here with Jason, and unfortunately this week, no Allie, uh, she's out traveling, so the show must go on, and that show is Spaces. Thanks again for joining us, everybody. Um, we're back today. Uh, like I mentioned, Jason and I are uh, going to carry the load today and try, and try and pick up the slack, so Jason, uh, you better bring it. So I'll do <laughs> keep, what I can. <laughs> keep everybody entertained. Uh, so today's topic, we're going to discuss hospitals, which I am super amped about. Um, I was nerding out uh, in preparation for this. I don't think I ever told you I am a, I went to a medical magnet high school. and uh, That type of thing exists? Yeah. So uh, shout out to King Drew, uh, anybody from high school that's listening. Uh, it's a school in L.A., so it was a, a prep school with the hopes of you going into the medical profession. Like a solid four years? For high school, yeah. Of high school prepping you to go to med school. Yeah. Wow. And, and it was cool because we, uh, we actually got to do hospital rotations. And, That's uh, impressive. Yeah. I didn't know that they would even do something like that. Yeah, and it was, it was crazy because uh, some of my rotations, I did um, like a daycare and then, I, and then an adult daycare. So you can kind of pick and choose which one you wanted to do. Wow. And then I did, a, uh, I did the ER, which was insane. Wait, how old were you when you started going through some of this, though? I mean, like not as a freshman. You weren't doing these tours as a freshman, I, well, right? I, I, trans- like 
do it later on? I transferred into the school in my 10th grade year. So I okay. wasn't, uh, I don't know what they did in ninth grade. I'm not quite sure. Interesting. But uh, yeah, so you start doing the rotations and the ER was insane. Like somebody was wheeled in with a knife in their head. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. And you're seeing this as a sophomore? Yeah. You're like, yeah. I can't even drive and I'm seeing guys stabbed. In yeah. They, right they found a body and they brought him into the ER and they were trying to revive him. It was, it was crazy. But um, I saw an actual surgery that was in the room. Uh, monitor or you know observing a, a surgery we're, we're just standing in the corner like trying not to touch anything trying not to faint yeah you're, like, no watching. no literally I, literally because I, I would imagine at that age seeing everything that you're seeing people would probably pass out oh yeah that some people had to leave the room because they were using or the throw the, up or anything exactly using like a saw and stuff like that they were using a laser at oh. the time to do the incisions and um yeah it was you, that's the, intense the smell was, oh the smell is oh, what gets people yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah so if yeah. you didn't have breakfast that morning, or if Damn. you had too much breakfast that morning, it was uh, it was uncomfortable. So, was that what you were planning to do? Was go to med school? Like well, why? It was a really good school because in the area you took a left turn then, brother, and yeah. went freaking totally towards architecture. <laughs> I mean, like, was it the smell or what happened? You know. <laughs> uh, no, it was partly because it was a good school and it was like semi college prep, and it was a consideration. I, I probably easily could have gone that route. I, it's okay. very interesting. Like, I nerded out prepping for this because uh, yeah. I've, you know, seen some of this behind-the-scenes stuff. And um, I, I considered it, but architecture was my passion. And it, it just I just kept going that, that route after I finished school. I was like, ah, I just got to go back and focus on architecture. It's crazy because my sister-in-law is, and I'm going to butcher this, um, she's a, a PA physician's assistant oh, yeah 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 and so when she was doing going to school and you know i mean clearly it's not f- six eight years or you know whatever it takes to to get through that to med school but um she was telling me you know she's like helping in surgeries and all this kind of stuff mm-hmm. i'm like that's that's some serious bs i'm yeah. like if i'm knocked out on the table yeah i don't want somebody freaking practicing on me <laughs> you know what I, mean? I don't care how good they think their future is or not you know yeah. what i mean like i am not paying good money because i have good insurance for that to happen you yeah. know what i mean but it's like that's crazy and she was telling me like all the stuff she's seen and everything and she and she loves it and it's it's surprising throughout the history of hospitals it's um there's been a lot of that combination of uh education with the really medical i've never uh, actual you know treatment so there's some big hospitals that throughout history that have been linked directly to a college um college i get medicine college i get but like but high school like that's that's trippy you know well you weren't allowed to really do anything no but even even being in there i mean like i just i never had heard of that i never would have crossed my mind very cool yeah yeah we kind of already started but uh how was how was your weekend yeah um uh, the last couple of weeks you know honestly it's kind of blended together i'm pretty sure it was full of the normal stuff normal family duties and you know uh, work stuff and youth sports but i think the highlight slash uh low light if you will uh my wife and i you know we try to do date nights at least you know once a month i mean that's how sad it gets right we legitimately like get a babysitter <laughs> yeah and and try to just you know steal some hours on your own and at an evening with normal people and, um, so anyway, so she set this one up and it was actually, she takes my wife's very active. She owns a dance studio. Um, and she's been, she does a bar class, bar method class. I take that back. It's not bar method. It's pure bar. Okay. And also does some cycling stuff. Right. And then I'll, yeah. and then I just usually go to the gym. So she, I don't know if she emailed me, called me or texted me a couple of weeks ago and says, Hey, that this Friday night or whatever yesterday was, whatever the date was, I think it was the 23rd. Yeah. She goes, we're doing date night at the bar. And I'm like, what? like she doesn't drink. And I'm <laughs> yeah. like, what are you talking about? Like, we're not going to, like, we're not going to a bar. Uh, and she's like, excited? no, she's like, no, you idiot. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the bar, like her, her bar class, pure yeah. bar class. I'm like, this is not going to be good. Yeah. You know, I'm like, all right. I mean, like, why not? You yeah. know, like, and, and at their studio, HBP Dance Extreme, they do a class that's called Strength and Stretch. Okay. And when I first met her long time ago and started dating her seriously like she took me into that class and our partner huggy he like basically annihilated me i mean i was dying right so i've been an athlete my whole life you know mm-hmm. hockey soccer everything like that and it just worked me well then we go to last night and i'm out of the i think there was 10 couples so and each you know each gal and so then these are the hardcore gals that actually like you know do really well and they're yeah. you know all in good shape 
the dudes were a mixed bag. There was a guy next to me that was like a CrossFitter, which I do not like CrossFitters, okay, yeah. um, because they think they're athletes. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, I, like I have a lot of respect for what you're doing, yeah. but you're not an athlete, you yeah. know. But, um, but anyway, so he, he was next. Oh, I hope so. And he had his tights on and everything. Like, it was prototypical. The only thing he needed was some extra chalk, you know what I'm saying? Oh, my God. And, um, and you could just smell the protein powder. And uh, so anyway, so he was next to me and a couple other guys that were, weren't in great shape, but it was brutal. Yeah. I mean, it was brutal. And the teacher was super cool. This is, this is, I think it's pure bar in Tustin off of 17th street here in Southern California. And she's like, push me. She's like, you know, like your, your, she goes, you got to push your hips forward. Hmm. I'm like, my hips don't go forward. Like, I don't <laughs> look at like every sport you've ever played. If you think about it, it's like you're, you're in a script, like your, your hips, hips point back yeah you go back and if you're gonna if you're gonna deadlift you're gonna squat you're gonna do whatever you put your hips back so you can get proper alignment for your back i'm like my hips are not made to go forward yeah like that is not going to happen and there was like multiple different things where my wife's just dying because she comes over and she's like can you do i'm like that's not gonna happen like there's just (laughs) it's not gonna happen quit pushing me you know and then the funny part was then they get these stupid little neoprene dumbbells you know i'm talking about right the two pounders three pounders you got like these pink things and blue things and like the black ones the black ones are the big ones are five pounders i'm just like oh it's gonna be this is, this is nothing, right? Why well, it was a it was a back and shoulder day for me that morning, right? Okay. So at four thirty to roughly five thirty in the morning, I was doing a pretty heavy workout, really happy. I hit some personal records, and we get in there, so you're and, all and now every oh, and so everything's like extending. You get people can't see this, right? But you're extending your arms all the way out and doing these shoulders and back exercises with five pound dumbbells. I can't do it, yeah, because my muscles are just exhausted. Because yeah. I'm like, I'm only 12 hours past where I just exhausted them, and they're just screaming at me. But then you're looking at yourself in the mirror with all these other girls going, "I can't stop with the little." The, five I can't pounds. stop with yeah. the five, like sweating and just wanting to cry. <laughs> and so anyway, so that plus all the crazy like stretching stuff they make you do, which I'm actually pretty limber as a dude. I'm semi bendy, okay, but because you know I played goalie forever in hockey, but. It just, I mean, it was, it's a humbling experience. My wife's a badass. My wife's a straight badass. I mean, she's, I think my wife's hot, which is great, right? But she's just, she's in great shape and she's just laughing at me. I mean, I think it was partly like, let's go have a good time. I had a good time with it. Yeah. And I think everybody else had a good time because I was making everybody laugh, which probably also made it harder. (laughs) Um, But we had a good time and she had a good time. And then I got to go uh, eat dessert at least after. So it kind of made it worth it. So it was good though. It was good. What about you? That's funny. Um, well, first, did you get your cinnamon roll? After? Is that Hell yeah, you? I went this morning. <laughs> so we went. Uh, so this morning, uh, we went down and met my dad for a walk around Balboa. Hit up Blue Chair. So I was so pumped, man. Because I, and I gave the gal, I gave the gal a rip. I'm like, look, I'm like, you don't get to close for three weeks. Yeah. Like that is not like one week is cool. Like everybody needs a week vacation. Yeah. Not three weeks. Like, don't do so it. She's funny. laughing at me. <laughs> yeah. So for my last couple of weeks have been interesting uh you know getting this my my business now up and running yeah yeah so um doing all the legal and tax stuff it's uh it's been a a it's pain a but yeah, but exciting because you know it's a complete change of pace from what i'm usually doing sitting behind yeah. it as and it's taken these last what three weeks or so to recondition my mind so anybody out there that's going to be starting a business be prepared. It takes a while to get your mind to yep. basically restructure and, and understand that you don't have to sit at your desk for eight straight hours. And it takes more discipline. Yeah. Yeah. It almost takes more discipline. It does. But the kind of the cool thing about it is that you you don't have to do something unless you are in that mindset to do it. Mm-hmm. So when I'm not feeling as creative, I've like yep. you know what Take a break, i'm not gonna design else. i'm i'm gonna go ahead and start filling out these forms and whatnot and vice versa right on. I, I love that part about it um and then i got to you know connect with a lot of uh people that are doing a similar similar thing as me uh old coworkers and people i've, I've done work with before and it's a really exciting time there's a lot of stuff going on uh kind of organically that i think is going to change not only the architecture profession, but the workforce in general. We hinted at like um, people working from home increasing. I think entrepreneurship is going to start to increase, um, and it it's going to be a domino effect. I think things are going to be changing very rapidly, um, fairly soon. So it's it's an exciting time. Um, I got to uh, speak to some people that kind of reaffirmed what we're doing here. You know, one of the things that 
in one of my conversations, I really realized is that uh, in the building industry, we just don't understand each other from a, a contractor to architect to no. uh, d- uh, mechanical electrical designer. No, Nobody understands each no. other. So we all blame each other and yep. point the fingers at each yep. other. And we think everybody else's job is so easy. And uh, it's not. Nobody's job is easy. And Agreed. we don't. We have to you know, be more compassionate about each other and understand I'm freaking out because my boss is yelling at me. You're yelling at me. I know someone's yelling at you. Yeah. We're all just trying to get our job done. Yep. And to, you know, be more compassionate and understanding, yeah, that was a mistake. Let's figure out how to correct it. Let's not point fingers at each right. other. You know, let's work together. Because it's, I mean, we're, we're all working on a project together and we're, we're all trying to get to a common goal. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's a really good point. And yeah. I think, um, you guys get blamed for a lot. And yeah. I think what frustrates me, and I don't know if we're talking commercial or residential side, I feel like it's more commercial. But, uh, I think it's everywhere. <laughs> okay. Um, I definitely see it on the commercial side a lot and it's just like, well, that's what the architect drew. And you just want to, like, I've heard that multiple times from different trades when mm-hmm. we're meetings and things of that nature. And I just want to spit on the back of my hand and slap them <laughs> because it's like, aren't you supposed to be the expert in your field? And yeah. if it doesn't look like it's right, you're just going to do it. Yeah. You know, um, which might blend into something else I want to talk about later. Um, but they don't, they don't tend to take responsibility for those things or make suggestions. I think it's a broken process Mm -hmm. because when you look at how the way the process works, if you're, if you're in a fluent trade and you know what you're doing and you bring up these questions about spec and everything else and start saying, well, they don't really want that. They want this, this, and this, you like won't get jobs because your bid too high. Mm-hmm. Whereas the rest of them were like, well, you guys should have put that into your scope mm-hmm. or you should have drawn it that way or whatever. So here's a change order. Yeah. So I don't know what the way around and, I, and we're not heavily involved in commercial because I see it a lot on commercial on residential. I feel like there's a little, I'm not going to say it's, it's fluid, but there's a little bit better like cross communication. Uh, and you're looking at a smaller building too, right? Yeah. So when you're getting a commercial, it's like multi, multi, multi millions of dollars yeah. as opposed to a residential project, even though it's per plan, each home is only X amount and usually get through it in the first three models anyway. Right. Mm-hmm. But I do, I do think there's a, that the whole process is broken. It really is. Yeah. And I think, uh, and one of the things that came up was a 2008 recession. A ton of people left the field. So you got uh, a lot of people or the industry. So you got a lot of people that aren't really equipped with that experience. Young crop. Yeah. Yeah. Inexperienced young crop. And then the last thing I'll say on this before we, so we can jump into this, but um, as far as fees, I think we all need to get comfortable with the fact that, you know, your fee is your fee. It's for a reason to cover that service and you have to provide quality service. So we all have to get used to speaking honestly to each other, listening to each other honestly, to accept that, you know, someone's fee is there for a reason and maybe not be so quick to push back on it and not be so quick to just accept being pushed back on because it's for a reason. A lot of companies end up going out of business because of this uh, scope creep and fees not covering their work but let's let's kind of jump right. off of that because yeah. i know we could go all day on on that but all of this has put into perspective how much i appreciate the guys that work on hospitals it is a bear of a project it's probably one of the most complex project types Makes to sense. work on there's tons of parts tons of things to consider so We'll uh, we'll jump into that now. And uh, one of the first or the original facility uh, for a hospital was considered a temple to uh, the healing gods. Hmm, that makes sense. Yeah. So, uh, but it wasn't the hospital that you would think of. So in this temple for the healing gods, they did prayers, sacrifices. This is all your treatment. There you go. <laughs> prayers, sacrifices, and dream interpretations. And that play, all played a role in their healing process. But they also did um, stitch wounds, set broken bones, and used uh, opiates wow. for pain. For pain, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I can imagine if somebody was trying to interpret my dreams, that probably wouldn't help them. Yeah. That might more so hurt them in a lot of different ways. <laughs> <But> <laughs> yeah. So they believed that the earliest actual hospital, uh, built hospital, was in um, Sri Lanka. 
and they found these rooms were 13 by 13, which is pretty close to what these yeah. hospitals are today, yeah. which is crazy that the same, you know, those same, same footprint. Uh, footprint, yeah, the same exists today. But the Greeks were kind of the originators of the concept of uh, rational medicine that closely translates to what we have today. Although the Romans were one of the first ones that introduced the word hospital or a close translation to hospital, their words were uh, in Latin hospice or uh, hospitium. Hmm. Um, and that translated to actually entertain, which I found surprising. It's like... I'm yeah, not the Romans going... are known for a lot of that type of stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. The Roman military uh, hospitals were one of the, the first uh, healthcare facilities that kind of started the structure um, that kind of blended into what we have today. Um, but it was in a um, sort of a courtyard footprint. Hmm. So if you think, uh, you know, you got your square courtyard and uh, these long uh, rectangular right. rooms right. around that courtyard and in those rooms uh this is what they call it the ward uh if you if you've all heard of the word ward yep. it was just that big room for multiple beds and that was that military um hmm. kind of format Makes sense. Yeah. so you had um soldiers and slaves basically that were in these in these places so it was kind of lower income sort of i guess okay but as opposed to separate rooms yeah yeah, yeah. makes sense but when the Roman Empire uh, turned to Christianity, the church got really involved and basically took over the role of hospitals. So you end up with like St. Mary's Hospital. Oh, yeah. And, okay. and you see that today. That's kind of like a heavy influence yeah, for sure. uh, of this um, foundation for a lot of hospitals. So this ward format was kind of dangerous, though. Because you got... Well, you can spread disease like exactly, crazy. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So you got all these people in there, and it's just prime for disease to spread. But our the first hospital uh, in the Americas was actually in Mexico City in 1524. The first North American hospital was in Quebec, actually. They had 10 beds. In 1672, another, bit, uh, another ward was ward format was added, and they had 24 beds. So you can see it started to progressively get more and more beds. Yeah. And obviously, the more people you introduce, the worse the conditions can get. For sure. So by 1700s, they had deteriorated to like horrific conditions. Um, some wards had over 100 beds in them, Jeez. and even multiple patients in one bed. How's that even possible? I know! That's what I don't understand. Yeah. So they were dark, poorly ventilated, obviously unsanitary. Uh, And then you come to, uh, you know, our 13 colonies here and Bellevue Hospital in New York, which was built in 1743. It saw a lot of these poor conditions. So an interesting story from Bellevue, there was a a doctor named Alexander Anderson. Uh, He was one of the first physicians at Bellevue. And he was actually, he was only a 22-year-old apprentice. Um, and he really wanted to be an engraver. But his parents were like, you, you want, we want you to do God's work. So you're going to be a doctor. So he ended up continuing on to... It's a slightly different topic, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So he ended up uh, just going ahead and, and pursuing the, being a doctor. Um, and he took a, a job at Bellevue in the mid 1700s where these wards are getting out of control putting people on top of each other in horrible conditions and uh in bellevue they were basically just shipping people that had yellow fever and he he didn't really know how to deal with them it was just a constant flow of these people that were sick with yellow fever but he basically just bled them and purged them crazy so he had incredible kindness and compassion for them sounds like it yeah (laughs) well um so that was that was the thing that stood out about him is that he was really kind and compassionate but he knew there was no way like there was nothing they could do yeah so he basically stayed there for several years and several waves of this epidemic and during his time there his son died of yellow fever his wife died of yellow fever. Jeez. His mother, his father, his brother all died of Good yellow heavens, fever. Man. Yeah. And um, why are you telling us the story? You're making <laughs> me feel so sad. So this is the I'm just, you know, giving you a background of uh 
to appreciate what we have today. Okay. <laughs> but I'll get off of this story. So that was kind of the, the scene in the mid-1700s. And uh, so then you fast forward a little bit and we start to get some advancement. Um, have you heard of the, the Florence, Ni- uh, Florence Nightingale? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, they basically came up with a new layout for these wards. If you imagine like a long hallway and then these rectangular rooms that kind of pop off of that hallway perpendicularly. Yep, yep. And that's all. So they're not kind of touching each other. Right. Um, it's kind of like modern day then. Yeah, so yeah, then yeah. you have that courtyard space in the middle yep. so you can get fresh air um, coming through there and they're not immediately next to each other. Hmm. Uh, so that started that uh, that kind of design, uh, which was, I cannot say this name. for. They have like all these random S's in it. John's Hopkins. Hopkins. Yeah. John Hopkins. Yeah. So that was one of the first hospitals. Okay. I'm all tongue tied. That uh, that had this layout, and then they took it a step further, and um, there were a few hospitals that did it, but uh, took it a step further, and ended up having uh, uh, multiple floors at this okay. point because okay. previously they were all you know single Singles. story. Yep. Um, so that way you ended up condensing space and cutting down the travel time uh, for doctors the other option to award is you pay extra or you donate and you can get a private room so Uh more and more people started catching wind of this uh, getting a private room and uh, by 2006 they ended up passing guidelines so there's 2006 guidelines for the design and construction of hospitals uh, that stated construction in new construction the maximum number of beds per room shall be one unless the functional program demonstrates the necessity of a two-bedroom or two-bed arrangement so at that point it started to become uh, normal practice to get your own room for the most part Uh, but there is some disadvantage some people argue that you have a lack of social interaction and then the other two are kind of obvious. It's more difficult to get a nurse's attention, yeah. and more difficult for them to notice if you fall. But it is, um, you know, everybody wanted it. You get more privacy, less chance of infection spreading. So. Yeah, I would think it's the key for the last part of that. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. The shift to getting a single per room or one bed per room brings up the question of, is the demand for the private patient room contributing to the increased cost of healthcare. Well, I think it has to, right? I mean, you lose efficiency. Yeah. Alternatively, um, does it actually reduce the cost of healthcare because you're reducing infections and the length of staying time? Well, I remember, I mean, it's a a good question. I remember reading a book and I thought it was, I think it was called Better by Atul Gawande. And they were talking about... It's a great book. It was a great book. And if I remember correctly, really what was like the spread of the disease was not so much people being next to each other. It was the fact that the individual that was working on each person wouldn't like resanitize. Yep. So you would touch, you know, an individual and then you, you know, not clean, not sanitize, not disinfect and go touch the next individual. So whatever that one person had, A, you're passing on to person B. And it really, I mean, if you think about it now. And well, the doctors, the doctor felt um, felt bad or awkward or uncomfortable, um, you know, putting on gloves yeah. or, 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 you know, whatever. They said it was feel like less personal or something yeah, like that, they, right? They, they thought it, um, you know, made the patient uncomfortable. Like they didn't trust them. Or no, I'm to, cool. Go yeah. ahead and use that. I'd rather not die. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It makes sense to me. But I mean, like I was trying to think the last few times we've been in the hospital for, you know, births or, um, I think little minor surgeries or whatever. It's, it's always been multiple people in a room. Yeah. You know, and there's just a freaking shower curtain, you know, in the middle of it now because, and that's what I remember, you know, even at, um, when my son was, my son was born, you know, roughly nine, nine and a quarter years ago, he was born at St. Joseph's here in Orange County and had to be moved down to chalk cause he was six and a half weeks early. And as a baby, they're in the NICU, but, and I, and I realized they're like in little baby growers, incub- uh, incubators, but they're all sitting with the same people. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, it's just, it, to me, it kind of answers that same question. As long as they're sanitizing whatever they're doing with each individual, you know, you were fine, you know. There's a, a ton to consider when you're designing a hospital, and, and this is where I get that appreciation from. So you're considering the beds related to the inpatient functions outpatient related functions the actual alignment of your design to the 
the services to be done. So you have the diagnostics and treatment functions, admin functions, service functions for food and uh, supplies, research and teaching. Um, and then you have to keep it efficient and cost effective. Right. And then on top of that, you have flexibility and expandability concerns. So I don't know if you're aware of this, but um, some of the larger hospitals have this thing called interstitial space. Sounds like a big word that I wouldn't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the inter- interstitial. Inter- interstitial space is basically, um, I- I'll put up an image of this as well. Uh, so if you, if you cut through a building, you'll see, um, let's say you have like a, a large 14-foot uh, floor to ceiling okay um but you have a supported lower ceiling drop yeah drop at like i don't know nine feet or whatever okay so then you have this small space above that supported uh that that drop ceiling um that's that interstitial space okay so what happens there is they can store equipment yep not only just like your mechanical equipment and stuff but actual scanners and okay. you know all those More different portable things. type stuff yeah exactly okay. so you can move them around and drop it down uh drop cables <laughs> and whatever you need into different spaces and and adjust it so uh that's just like one concept of the the flexibility and expandability um and then you want it to make a therapeutic environment uh then you consider yeah, beige yeah <laughs> tan beige yeah, <laughs> yeah. soothing <laughs> woods tans beige and then you're you're looking at the accessibility and controlled circulation, obviously sanitary. And then this one kind of uh, jumped out to me, but it makes sense, is regional demographics. What and do you mean by regional demographics, though? So that's uh, having an understanding of the people in the region and whether that population is growing or shrinking uh, so that you know how much that hospital needs to be able to sustain. So really, it's kind of like the same idea as when uh, residential home buildings going through a building process of what schools and stuff mm-hmm. like that, like what the serviceability for that area is going to be. It's the same idea. Yeah. And then as far as the codes, uh, hospitals, I was kind of shocked to see this. They're among the most regulated of all building types. Um, but the federal facilities that are on federal pop- property, they don't have to adhere to like the normal um, really? state and local codes but they follow uh, federal uh, regulations, uh, which have mostly adopted uh, what's called the Facility Guidelines Institute, FGI, Guidelines for Design and Construction of Healthcare Facilities. Hmm. No shock the government wouldn't carve themselves out, something a little bit easier to get things done. Yeah. <laughs> so on the construction side, which I know you'll, you'll appreciate, I can't imagine having to deal with all that. I mean, when you look at all the equipment, the vent, like you said, the ventilation, the clean yeah. rooms. Yeah. I mean, so the refrigeration. I mean, just the the mass amount of the amount of power you have to get through there. I mean, so many different things. Like that's it's in, it's intense. I think you said intense earlier. Yeah. And um, what's interesting is the building we're in now, our companies are in right now. It had like I think it's like I could be butchering this, so please don't take it the wrong way, but. <laughs> like H5 chemical and fire and all these oh, kind of type of yeah. containments, right? Mm-hmm. And so it was like insulation on insulation, certain thicknesses of walls, like the, the systems had to be able to pump X amount of cubic, you know, inches per second and all this kind of stuff. And like super detailed, yeah. which is horrible because we just tore it out and threw it away because oh. it didn't fit what we needed to do. But it, I can only imagine how intricate it would have to be in a in a in a hospital, having seen what we saw on that side. Yeah. And the specs alone, the flow rates, everything else that goes into all those things, because that's the other thing. A lot of the stuff in the hospital is like combustible. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? And people don't realize that. So the the containment systems that you have to have on top of that are gnarly. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a lot. I mean, it's a lot more than beige walls and VCT tile. You yeah. Know? So I, I dabbled in. Uh, hospital or medical facility design as well and just the air control uh you you almost have like airlock systems like a spaceship yeah yeah well you have to because when you when you talk about containing disease and things like that like if there was like you know that was the movie like outbreak way back when you know but but legitimately yeah like all of a sudden you have to be able to isolate and contain things and and the other one came that's coming to mind right now is the movie uh with Nicolas Cage and it was that gas. It was like Saron gas or something oh, like that. Uh, uh, the Rock. Yeah, the it Rock. It was The Rock. Yeah. 
And you, you remember, you remember that room, like one of those balls, like hit the floor yeah. and it opened and it's like they had to seal that door yeah. and you see that guy just oh, basically yeah. melting into nothing. Yeah. Right. But that's legitimate. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of stuff you're looking at where you have to have those types of measures in place and those systems in place to make sure if something, God forbid, something did happen, you got to be able to shut it down and hang on to it. You yeah. know what I mean? And, and, and just isolate it. And I think that's, you know, when they have those serious outbreaks or concerns of outbreaks like the um, Ebola yeah. that yep. kind of went around, yep. there's certain facilities that are equipped to handle something Correct. like that. Correct. So not all of them have that level. To that level. Yeah. But they have to have, but but what did happen if there was an outbreak in that, ho- and I keep saying hotel, I don't know why, <laughs> yeah. but um, in that hospital, there's at least minimums that they had to do to be able to then shut off that wing or whatever it is until the CDC and everybody else gets there. Yeah. And that makes that transport to one of these more robust yeah. type environments. Right. Yeah. But you know, and I mean, and the other thing that goes into it, once it's built, the protocols that those people have to go through, mm-hmm. I mean, that's the crazy part, right? Because yeah. if you're not on point with what you're supposed to be doing yeah. and you went to the wrong bar method class, right. Yeah. The, uh, you I mean, it, it's could be severe. Yeah. So like quickly. Yeah. You know, and the construction side, some of the issues that they ran into are time and budget. I uh, guarantee you none of those are ever on budget. So, so get this. Never. So a 2015 uh, hospital construction survey found that only 46% of the responders, I'm surprised it's this high, only 40%, 46% of the responders completed uh, their projects on or under budget and or on or ahead of schedule. That's a BS statistic. There's no way. <laughs> you think it was less? Oh, dude, that's totally cooked. So There's much. no way. Yeah. Because for one, they never budget right. Yeah. Like, and I was just, and let's go back to what I was saying before with like change orders, right? Because it's all the architect's fault, right? <laughs> but, but ultimately, I mean, that's what you're going to run into. Like, uh, you know, coming from the flooring side and the cabinetry side, right? They give you a spec and it just says VCT. Yeah. Which VCT? <laughs> You know, and it's the not your guys' fault, decide. right? Because yeah. the designer, but it's like there's there's a dollar a foot VCT, there's fifty cents a foot VCT. Yeah. Hell, there's five dollar foot VCT. Yeah. Which one do you want? You throw that spec. There's no way it stayed on budget. Yeah. I don't care what anybody says. That's a full on lie. So I, so with that, I gotta address this. So, a lot of uh, owners don't want you to nail down a specific spec because they they're need, stupid. They need wiggle room. They're stupid. Uh, so they don't want us to put whatever it is in the drawings because when the inspector comes out, yeah. you have to put exactly right. what's in that contracted document. Right, have the MSDS and everything. Yeah, and so, the, yep. so a lot of them like to have that wiggle room yep. to uh, you know either provide their own spec Just book, on the fly. And, yeah, yeah, or adjust if they start to get over budget sure. in construction and whatever. So yeah, because they are over budget yeah. every time. So we get blamed a lot right. for that kind of stuff, which drives me crazy. But well, it's not your fault, right? Yeah. But ultimately, it's like you want to push for it. And like I'm, I'm bidding a project right now. It's not, it's not a hospital, but I've got like all these questions going back to them because they need us to help them. And they're like, oh, nobody else has asked that. And I'm like, exactly right. Like yeah. that's the exact point that I'm talking about. They yeah. just don't do it. Yeah. You know, and I and I do feel bad for the architect because you guys are designers of a different type mm-hmm. than like an interior designer, mm-hmm. right? You have your ideas as far as aesthetics and viewpoints and, and functionality those things, yeah. but not the exact detailed material that should be going. It's like, hey, we want some kind of wood floor, and in your head you're picturing something, but that but that range is just way out there. Yeah, you know, it, I mean? it requires a lot of attention yeah. and uh, I from mean that you, trade specificity. You know, and I mean we could do that, but sure. nobody. I mean that's yeah, no, I that agree. takes a lot of attention, and you're more than likely going to lose money on that. Oh, I agree. but see, that, but see, the thing in. is, and like it's a change order, so it goes in there and it says that number, and the owner may want that. Well, maybe the owner's then saying it was on budget because in my head I knew I was going to spend an extra twenty percent. Yeah, you know, which is not unheard of. Yeah. You know? Plus time too, twenty yeah. percent on. Nobody's ever on time. <laughs> like those big buildings are not on time. Yeah. So then uh, the other issue, or other another issue, is uh, scope creep, and to kind of combat that. So what most of the hospitals are are the method of construction is design build, and for those that may not know uh, what design build, that's that's when you look at a comp or go to a company that has everybody. Uh, all under one roof so you have your your contractor that's actually going to build it your architect um, and then there's there's different levels of design build some have you know your structural your mechanical everybody all on staff some um, are the primary contractor sure. and they may have just the architect and 
just the contractor or just the architect and they they handle all the subcontracts so that's that's what the concept of design build and the benefit is that you have uh basically one person that you turn to the entire length of that job so you're not contacting uh each individual person part is nice yeah 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 so that that makes it uh efficient but they're still running into issues with that design build. So uh, another method that people were starting to pick up on is a fast track. Have you worked on a project that was fast track delivery method? I think it depends on what we're going to identify as fast track. So my understanding, um, I'm not quite sure if there's other definitions, but I believe the general definition of fast track is where you're basically, um, for example, you get your... Uh, foundation approved and they start construction immediately on that foundation while you're still designing and working out the bugs of uh, the re- the rest of the building and then you get that another phase of it permitted and then you feed that out to the field and they start building so you're kind of doing both at the same time okay. rather than working out the entire design and then getting that permit pulled okay. and then going to construction and they um some of the numbers that come out is cutting the construction time from three years to 18 months. No way. (laughs) (laughs) And and you're still talking about hospitals. Yes. So I know that I know for a fact that the fast track method goes, this goes right along with what we're talking about with offsite construction though. Uh, I know it's not offsite construction, but it's just a different method of doing it. And we talked about time savings and everything yeah. else. So if this is really honestly something they're doing, then yeah. we should pull a, a hard parallel to how you need to do this on the residential side because it's not, there's I, no way you're cutting a cycle time in half. I don't, I don't That's think nuts. you can do it in residential because it's already so fast, so fast of a project. Fair, fair point. And things change so rapidly. I, I don't. I think you'll run into more problems I if just, you try and convert it to residential. At, at least if, on a small could, scale. Like, even if we get still 20%. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I, there's no way it's half. <laughs> like, I think that would be awesome. I yeah. really do. But I just, I don't see half. So for our listeners that have done the uh, fast track method, please contact us. Let us know what kind of numbers. Yeah, here. no joke. I would love to. I mean, true, like in all sincerity, I would love to hear about that. Yeah. If it, if it legitimately, if you can cut up by 25%. I mean, that to me would be amazing. Yeah. You know, I mean, isn't Horton the one that has the product that's uh, like the the express product? Mm, I'm not sure. And supposedly, like the build time is like 45 days. Huh? It's not. Yeah. Like like that's, when it that's every, like half. I know from yeah. everybody that's told me they're like, eh, it's it's not really 45 days. You know, I so I don't know what the actual answer is. I wonder what do you know what they mean by express? Like what you, what is that? Yeah. So it's like so there's there's like almost no options. It's oh. you're stamping it out. Um, it's it's a it's a stamped out house. Yeah, you know what it's I mean. It's something that up. they've they've done. Yeah, over they and stripped over again. they stripped out a lot of the uniqueness in some of those plans. From what I understand, I'm not working with them, so yeah. I'm not dealing with that. But huh. it's it's made it very cookie cutter ish. Yeah, to where they can just pound them out, and it's huh. not there's not a lot of that here. There's a little bit, but it's primarily you know pushing out towards the east. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. So uh, another issue, last one I'll jump on, was uh, infection control and indoor air quality. And this is still for construction, like we were talking about, because yeah. um, you're introducing new people and materials into the environment and bacteria, um, more people and, and more traffic in that space, uh, increased levels of dust and chemicals, yeah, for sure. obviously. And then in a renovation I'd never really thought about it, but they do renovate hospitals. All the time. Yeah, so you, there's concern of vibration that not only can release dust and mold spores into the air, but can also um, throw equipment out of whack that, that the hospital uses. So that's a, a huge concern. Um, and then mold and particulates from demo and nearby construction get into... And that goes to containment and air quality again, right? Yeah. And then for new construction... Uh, air ducts not properly being protected oh, yeah. during construction so they're all yeah so they do have um i can't think of the um the name of it right now but when they they basically blow out the air system 
uh, when they open the building, they basically run the air conditioning to clean out the, I don't, the air. I don't know if it's the same thing, like when they do a startup. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's part of the process. Yeah. So but they got to do like air scrubbers and all that kind of stuff and, and make sure there's no contamination in there still. Yeah. Are you familiar with like, um, I know, you know, lead. Yeah. Uh, are you familiar with the well AP? No. Okay. So the well, we're going to do a whole episode about lead and, um, and well AP, okay. but just specific to this and the air quality well uh while lead is uh about building efficiency Correct. well is about the wellness of the people that that are occupy a space mm. so there's all these markers and 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 things to do to maintain a high quality environment for people and one of these things is air quality um so like i was talking about that uh air clean out mm-hmm. um they have you run the air conditioning system for a certain amount of time um, to move a certain amount of air yep. to ensure that it's completely clear. Well, and it's getting filtered. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. And then uh, I believe you change the filter after you run it. I would imagine. Yeah. yeah. So, and the CDC actually estimates that approximately 5,000 people die every year from hospital acquired infections le- linked to construction and renovation activities. Oh, 5,000 linked to construction and renovation. Yeah. Okay. I was like, if it's only 5,000 people, I was like, that number doesn't sound right. Yeah, linked to construction Got it. and renovation. But the, one of the, the a project that I found interesting um, in regards to renovation, it's called the Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. It's a long one. And this is in Boston. So they uh, redesigned an area of this hospital introducing all those warm colors and yep, and uh, yep. wood tones yep. and they basically reduced the footprint of the the nursing stations and they yeah. were able to up the bed count I'll, I'll place this article on our, our website as well because i can't find it right now but i think they upped the bed count from i want to say 14 to 20 people oh that's huge yeah so they were able to get more people in and i think they were all individual private spaces and instead of having like a, a wash area for the um, for the nursing team, they moved it inside of the the patient's room. So it added this comfort level oh, to the patient, to okay. so they can see you clean. Uh, yeah. So everybody that goes to the doctor now, I think the majority of them you'll see they have that sink in the patient yeah, room I now. That. So yeah. yeah. So um, a lot of things like that, that they're, they're shifting not only the design uh, for efficiency, but for that comfort level and that, that um, yeah. the treatment of the, the patient. It uh, protects them too, by the way. Yeah. From a, from a risk management standpoint, mm-hmm. that protects them too, by the way. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And so that goes along with some of the trends that, that we're starting to see. Uh, they're doing this evidence-based design where they craft the environment to provide uh, quantifiable improvements. So they actually study, study data and, you know, try and make it as efficient as possible for the, the nursing staff, um, as well as, uh, the patient treatment and Makes sense. outcome, um, sustainability, sustainability and wellness, advancing technology for communications and their hospital networks. And then on the construction side, um, I'm pretty sure everybody's probably using this now, but the BIM modeling, uh, the building information modeling is what BIM stands for. And that's, I I described it earlier in our uh, offsite construction (laughs) episode, but uh, so I won't re-describe it. You can go back and check that out (laughs) if you want to get that definition. It's pretty cool. And one one project that I really wanted to highlight on that kind of new trend side We'll have photos of uh, the the project I just mentioned. Oh, and then John Johns Hop Hops Johns Hopkins. <laughs> I cannot get that. That's right. I got you. my life. I got you. Photos of that, as well as um, this other project, which is called the Fifth. I am going to butcher this. This this project is in China. It's the Fifth Shangya Hospital. That sounds pretty official. I think that's right. Yeah, he nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and this is by Payet, is uh, the architect for that project. It's it's known as a medical city for the for healing. Uh, it's really Jason. You can kind of 
describe what you're seeing as well, but it's like a really cool design, open, open structure. Um, the building itself kind of snakes back and forth and you have these gorgeous courtyards in between. Like I was saying it earlier, it looks more like a business park as opposed to a hospital. You know what I mean? Where yeah. people are going and they're doing their thing, like whether you're going to work, you're going, you know, for treatment, but then you've got all these open areas and it's almost like inviting to be there and stay there and it's positive and fresh, you know? Yeah. And every space kind of connects to the, to nature. Nature. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and you'll see that as it's part impressive. as like, part of the, the wellness, uh, AP, that's a huge thing uh, about that connection to nature and, and being able to see nature, getting a lot of natural light in. You'll, you'll see that immediately when, when you... Yeah, you guys should check it out. I mean, it's a pretty cool looking space. Yeah, so if you're uh, at a computer, uh, check our website, uh, spacespodcast.com. Under the Listen tab, uh, if you scroll down, you'll see individual show notes. We have photos uh, and links to... Um, all the articles that, that we've kind of referenced and, and from the information that, that we've covered. Other than that, I think this has been the definitive episode on hospitals. I don't think you need to know anything else about hospitals. No, I, you just generally want to stay away. <laughs> right? That's the idea. I mean, it's funny because, I mean, it's such big business, though. And that's why it's so important. You know what I mean? There's in so many different ways. But if you're going to have to go, and I have a, a good friend that, uh, was in the hospital for about a week. He was staying at Hogue, which is a beautiful hospital here in Newport Beach. Uh, but it's just, if you're going to have to be there, you, if you could have something like Payette yeah. that we're going to have up on the website, I mean, is is beautiful. I mean, and, well, and, it, and you the can, architect. Sorry. Uh, um, the, the 5th Shangya Hospital. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. So check out <laughs> check out the website and take a look at it. But you can imagine if you were in a room there, or you're getting some kind of treatment or you're having to stay. I mean, it's it looks like a hotel. Yeah. You know, it truly does look like a hotel. And with the amount of money that's being pumped into the system these days, I'd imagine they'll start doing more and more of those things because now it's becoming big business. Yeah. So it makes sense. But yeah, as long as we can start getting rid of that beige. But there was a lot of studies that were done a long time ago that that was like a calming, like that's the calming color. Yeah. And so that's why they have that in there. But I almost wonder if that needs to change because we all look at it now as in we don't like it. Yeah. Well, uh, you know what I mean? Mentally. Was it Seth, Seth Godin? Uh, was it? Or, no, no, not not for that. But uh, Seth Godin wrote a book called The Purple Cow. Oh, yeah. No, I read it. And uh, It's a hell of a book. Yeah, it's like. You look at a ton of cows and all of a sudden the cows kind of just disappear. And yeah. like if you're on a drive and the cows disappear, you don't even notice yeah. them. All of a sudden there's a purple cow. And you're it's like, like, whoa, it's a purple cow. Exactly. But if they were all purple cows, then it would disappear. Yeah. Um, I mean, so once you become beige, conditioned, you got to yeah. snap it out, of, yeah. you know, snap it back out. But. And one thing that never, uh, never gets old is nature. It's constantly no. changing. Well, and I think too, look, I, I believe there's a real connection, you know what I mean? To, to the universe and everything around you. I, you know, I'm a God fearing individual, but so I believe in God, but I, I think you really have to have a connection to the outdoors and the outside and nature and it's good for your, it's good for you. Yeah. So the more often you can do, and this is coming from a guy that won't have live plants in the house. Like I just don't <laughs> believe in it. I think it's the dumbest thing ever. Cause but, you kill them or my, cause my wife does, she can't. And she, it's the joke. She's like, every time we get something new, cause she, you know, she does a great job with that type of stuff, but she's like, I don't think I can kill these. And I'm telling you like within a couple of weeks, those, the poor trees, man, or the poor plants or whatever the hell they are. I'm like, just buy the fake ones. Like just get it over with. You know? uh -huh. But, um, but you know, I think you have to have that connection. You need to go outside. You need to have that walk. You need to do whatever. And if you're not in a state in which you can do that, the fact that they're bringing it to them now yeah. is, is I think, you know, pretty crucial. Yeah. So. Okay. So, uh, so before we go, we want to introduce one last segment. Uh, Jason's been itching to, to break out. We, we try and restrain him as much as we can, but uh, he's been itching to get out. So we'll, we'll give him a, a few minutes and we're going to introduce a new segment this week. Warning, grab a pen and paper or cover your ears if you can't handle it. The following is The Straight Truth with Jason. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! There's something that's been chewing at me even since our millennial talk. And right now, um, my wife's dealing with a few different things in our studio, or in her, her studio that I hear about or get yelled at about. Um, and then on top of that, in the companies that I work with, we're going through performance reviews and things of that nature. 
one of the things that's been coming up a lot and I would encourage people in our generation, look, I, I love the idea about growth and attaining wealth and wanting to take additional steps and make yourself better and everything else, but you need to work for it. I mean, we've got, we've got some struggles with some individuals right now where they're saying, you know, they're coming in and we're doing a performance review and whatever their title is, they're saying, look, I've done some research and my title pays X or, you know, not, not that blunt, but yeah. saying, you know, my title pays X. So I think I need a raise. That is not how you get a raise. Like that is not how this works. And if you are really interested in, you know, what that other person does in that other company, go to that other company. Like that's not what your barometer should be. Don't focus on the stuff that's on the outside. You need to stop and take a look at it and say, geez, what am I doing or not doing that is not putting the company in a position where they want to come to me and they see value in what I'm doing or value beyond what it is I'm already doing and already getting a paycheck for. Mm to make themselves better and attain that next step, you know? And the funny thing is this, they, and I, and I kind of heard it almost pretty straight this way. They're like, well, you know, what other opportunities? You can get? It, it doesn't work that way. You start learning and you take the opportunities. You need to do the work and you need to better yourself before the money comes and before those opportunities come. It should never be in a situation for two reasons. It should never be in a situation where you're going and you're trying to beg or demand additional money. One. If you were as good as you thought you were, the company would already do that. And two, if the company's not doing that and you really are truly honest and looking at yourself in the mirror that you're making a difference and you've done all these different types of things to where you should be in a position for that, then you need to go to a different company. Yeah. But for the most part, the people that are asking these things aren't even close to that. And I can tell you the people that we went and did this with, like in the last several months, we approached them and said, hey, you're doing a killer job. Like we want to continue to encourage this so-and-so or their supervisor, or however you want to look at it. I don't do a hierarchical thing, but they're looking at it and saying, you know what? XYZ individual is just killing it. They've grown leaps and bounds and I want it. We need to take a look at that. You know what I mean? We've got a situation where um, for some young kids that are 15 and 16 years old, we've got parents that are dealing with my wife or with myself on different sides. And the child is going back to the, to the parent who's roughly our generation and saying you know this is going on this is going on this is going on and the parent takes their kids words at 100% truth and fires off stop stop like I don't understand I don't have a problem with you wanting to defend your child but this is this is a situation for anything you can't just take one little tidbit and think that that's gospel and not be involved and then go raise hell with somebody like you can't do that. Like you need to get involved. Like I'm gonna say it from a parental side, you need to get involved. Every time my son tells me or my daughter would tell me like so-and-so is being mean to him, I'm gonna go check it out. Like, okay, let's find out why, what's going on. Not just, you know, this person being mean to me, I pick up the phone and I start berating somebody. Yeah. What the hell is that? Like what's wrong with people? Yeah. I mean, that's what I don't understand. And you know, I, yeah, I, I think we're I think we're confusing our generation and money and those types of things. Like here, here's another thing that's bothering me. People, if you can't afford to buy stuff, don't buy it. Don't take big loans, you know what I mean? Don't keep drawing out money to get the next bigger, better thing. If you can't afford it in cash, minus a house and car and those types of things, right? Because those are, you know, not bad debt necessarily. Don't go buy a car well beyond your means, is not what I'm saying. But I understand having a loan on a car, having a loan on a house. But if you can't afford some of these other things that you want to do, trips, you know, material purchases, renovations, whatever, without paying for it in cash, don't do it. Yeah. Stop. I mean, I know the economy is good right now and everybody feels like it's going to keep going, but don't do it because that's what happens every time. People overextend themselves, especially the younger groups, right? They overextend themselves. The market goes down. Not that it has to crash, but jobs start getting eliminated. And all of a sudden you have to pay back all these people and you've got no money. And now you're bankrupt. Anyway, that, that's, that's my thing for today. I appreciate you guys letting me get that off my chest. If anybody wants to challenge me on that, CrossFitters, go for it. I have no problem with that. <laughs> feel, so Feel free to... Feel free to... Uh, I can't drop my mic because it's stuck to the table. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so feel free to email us however you feel about that. So we'll, we'll finish with these last couple items. Uh, listener mail. It's awesome. Uh, so for this week, I'm, uh, I'm going to do a quick kind of round the world of our social media, uh, responses. I deleted this one just because it, it was a bad one. We got That's our first, awesome. we got, our, hear we got our first negative one. Uh, but I deleted it just cause, uh, I don't want that content on our, uh, on our Instagram. 
oh, by the way, this guy has not listened to our show at okay. all. So he says, you should be careful putting your information everywhere. You guys look like a bunch of a-holes anyway. Wow. Yeah. Look like a bunch of a-holes? Yeah. I did. Really? <laughs> so, I can tell you, Demetrius and Allie are not. I understand the concern <laughs> that it might be me because I've been labeled that before, yeah. and I'm totally fine with that. <laughs> so I don't know who the hell that was, and I really don't want to yeah, know, yeah. but that... That sounds like a massive judgment to me. Yeah, isn't so, it crazy? Look before you leap, babe. Yeah, that's you know? crazy. And then we'll go on the on the on the positive side. Uh, I love it. I don't care if it's negative or positive. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So on the on the positive side, a uh, couple short ones. Um, like truly said a whole like said the said it with the a double dollar signs or what? Yeah. Full on said the whole piece. That's awesome. Yeah, he he really went for it. Um, so on the positive <laughs> side, we have one that says, uh, I guess a CrossFitter. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we have one that says, listen to the first two episodes, really enjoyed it. Surprisingly interesting, especially for someone with no knowledge of the industry. Look forward to listening. And that is from Andrew. Do you so, have the name and address of the other guy? <laughs> I don't. It wasn't a girl, I guarantee I, you that. No, it was a guy, yeah. uh, but I, d- I deleted that one already. We should post that. Yeah. Uh, and the other one, the other one's really short, too. It says, your page slash podcasts are so useful to me as an architect student. Smiley face. And this is uh, Sullivan Poppy. Uh, it's on Instagram. Awesome. So, yes, thank you for the comments. We really appreciate all of those. Uh, oh, and then I had to mention that we uh, we are starting to get responses to the contest. Yeah. Uh, so I saw a photo of a guy with headphones, and um, he tagged us, and it has a little arrow pointing to his headphones. That's awesome. Uh, so we don't have a ton of people that have have posted pictures just yet. So if you uh, if you want to go ahead and, and jump in on this contest. You have a good chance to win. Uh, go to go to our our website to get additional details. Spacespodcast.com. Dude, I have one more thing we didn't address at all. What? The Olympics. Oh yeah. Which is crazy because that's all I'm watching at night right now. Yeah. And unfortunately, I'm having to watch a lot of ice dancing. Oh yeah. Uh, because my much. wife thinks it's amazing. But here's the deal. So first off, go USA women's hockey. First time in five years they beat. The Canadians for gold, yeah. and it was an absolutely off the hook, amazing yeah, game. That was exciting. I mean, it was amazing. And then Sean White coming back and doing his thing, oh, right? Yeah. Um, the flying tomato, making it happen. And then I am absolutely enthralled with curling right now. I don't. know I'm going to get into it's a curling so league. It's it's like I was I was mesmerized by it. it. It's like watching a lava lamp. It really. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good parallel yeah but i mean like i was mesmerized by it and so, i can't get enough of it right so now i was at i a have bar. no idea like i don't understand it at all yeah but they have one in westminster oh really? they, yeah they do it that's so funny. i'm like i'm totally gonna do it yeah it looks amazing uh yeah anyways go usa way to go women's hockey absolutely amazing game unbelievable unbelievable congrats so uh so again, if you want to, uh, please do send us uh, messages on our, our social media or email. Uh, I want to continue to play with the sound effects. So as long as we get uh, listener mail, you'll hear more random sounds. Uh, hello at spacespodcast.com is our email. Connect with us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash spacespodcast. On Twitter at spacespodcast. On Instagram uh, Instagram.com slash spaces podcast. Uh, we are on Snapchat, but apparently Snapchat is tanking because of, uh, Kylie Jenner. The, um, I have no idea. Uh, what's her name? Uh, like the Kardashians? Yeah. The Car- oh. the Kardashians, oh, uh, little sister. Oh, I don't even so, want to know. Anyway, I don't know if we're going to stick trash. with Snapchat, but, uh, I don't even then, have a Snapchat account. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't. We'll see. But, uh, and then Not LinkedIn, cool. uh, linkedin.com slash company slash spaces dash podcast. And again, we, we know that there are tons of podcast options out there and we really appreciate you guys spending some time with us today. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please rate and like it on whichever uh, platform you're listening to this and go ahead and click that share button, share it with a friend. Your support is the only way that this grows. And if you just stumbled upon the show, please subscribe so you don't miss another episode. 
I mean, even if you think we're a-holes, by all means, continue to listen, share it to the rest of your a-hole friends, whatever it is. We have no problem with that. <laughs> so don't forget to uh, check out spacespodcast.com under the listen tab. Uh, there's tons of photos and show notes uh, on stuff we talked about today. And with all that said, if you're catching up, hit next. Or if you're listening as we put these out, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Thanks. Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise. From 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm.